The liberals treat us like a side, like a side dish. They really do. <laughs> they they treat us like, you know. I mean, they treat us like they're good with us in the dark, but would never introduce us to their parents. You know what I mean? Like that's the liberal party. Oh, okay. I'm just saying. I just I feel I feel almost used. Bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. And the band's back together. Yay. So it's like a sad time in my life when the three of us <laughs> don't record together. I don't know. That's uh, all I have to say about that. Um, any any quick updates on life that you do want to add? Mm-hmm. I have nothing. My body's falling apart. It's called old age. <laughs> I feel like I'm 80. <laughs> And I threw my back out a couple of weeks ago. Oh, it's the worst. And then doing laundry like is like, <laughs> like the worst story. That's well, the thing. To be like, fair, I do laundry by hand in the bathtub, but yeah. But to be fair, because well, you like, have all I fancy am. clothes. Well, no, I don't have it. I don't have a laundry uh, unit. Oh, yeah. right. You have to go to yeah. a laundromat. Yeah. Yeah, oh. so sometimes it's just easier to do. Gotcha. It. Like, okay. Gotcha. It's like not bad. Like it's pretty effective. But you have to learn to bend down properly. But I bounced back in like two and a half days. So I feel like I'm still young. Congratulations. Old enough to throw my back out, but young enough to bounce back quick. It's a, pretty, it's a, sweet, it's a sweet spot. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Um, yeah. And then like my foot. I don't know. I may have twisted. I don't know what I did to it, but it really, really hurt. And Aww. it was just like, I said, thank goodness I work remotely. Like, <laughs> honestly, I was like, I'm not coming in. Yeah. Imagine if you had to, like, take the bus. Oh. And stand the whole time. Oh, my gosh. Yes. See? You see? Yeah. I have privilege. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I can work remotely, so. Yeah, I, I get it. It's shocking how many workplaces are still like have no appreciation for work from home and like telework and think that it's like a cop out when people do it. And it's like it's essential. We should yeah. all be teleworking. The thing. Now. It's like their attitudes are we have to see you working yeah. or else we don't believe you. Uh, yeah, that. it's really fucked up. It's interesting. I saw a tweet and I didn't I didn't read the article, unfortunately, but it said that workplaces that have a lot of people who work remotely it affects the morale of the team because mm-hmm. the team members think that the other people who are working remotely have a special privilege mm-hmm. and that, that way, they're yeah. not pulling their weight yeah um and so the other people their work suffers because of it which is bullshit but yeah. I, can, I can i can see it from both I, sides but i think if you have a workplace where telework because right now telework is there for people who need like a an accommodation yeah. for you know a disability or, or something like that or you know in their rare case family status um mm-hmm. which it's great like it, that should happen more often frankly um and that's great and it's important and it's essential that employers do that but like 
What would be even better is if we had flexible work arrangements more broadly so that everyone was had the option of working from home at least a day a week. Sure. And I think like that would think about how much better that would be in terms of improving morale overall. First of all, you have an employer that like trusts you and like values your contributions and like isn't breathing down your neck, you know, like that, like I think would empower a lot of people. And then there's the, you know, you get a day, you can kind of sort yourself. You're not like dealing with meetings, people coming and going. You can work on longer term projects. You can think freely. You can, you know, get things delivered or like run an errand during a day and like, you know, have your flex hours working around some of the things you need to do. Right. Sure. And I think that the only issue is that the people, there are people who want to work from home for the wrong reasons. Like I know that there are people in my workplace who want to work from home because they want to be at home with their kids. That's not the wrong reason to what, like it's so that they can look after their kids. Yeah. That's not the wrong reason. Uh, I think it like if, as that's what a family who, status accommodation would mean. No, but like permanently they want to always work from home. Yeah, that's fine. Actually, my... Um, I have no issue my, with that. I would rather my, have someone who's working from home to work rather than spending half a time babysitting their children. I think we're overestimating how much like babysitting actually happens. Like, It's to be there and to move around. I think if you get your shit done and your like, deliverables are met, who the fuck cares? Right, I don't disagree with that, but to say that like that's... She, but like it's very common knowledge that like these people, like this person in particular, is well, like, oh, family, I just want to family stay status home. is a protected ground, and I would like love to argue that case because I actually think that you should be allowed to work from home, watch kids, and like have it count as long as your hours shake out, right? So, <clears throat> anyway, uh, <laughs> a lot of this like particular department is trying to move towards more flexible work schedules. And um, as their like transform digital transformation type of idea, it's it's basically the idea that okay we have you have access if you're not here. Mm-hmm. So um, like I get deliverables that I have to meet, and I do them, and I'm getting used to it too because I came up under that oh if you're not here we don't believe you're working. And for times like this, when like you just do something to yourself or something goes, you know, ape shit, like you're like your limited mobility or whatever for a temporary time or even appointments or anything like that. I, I, I feel like a more flexible work schedule should be not the wave of the future. It should be today. But that's going to change how employers view their employees like that sort of cultural shift also has to happen that your employees are not your children Mm -hmm. they're not there for you to monitor and police Mm -hmm. and let's not get into who will be monitored and policed more okay Mm -hmm. so on that note Mm -hmm. i feel like we've had a mini discussion here already so we're (laughs) ready so this week in feminism uh canada's postal service is currently in the middle of contract negotiations in the middle i'm not really sure um with the union that represents the mail carriers um q cup w c u p w um which called a rotating countrywide strike on october 22nd this week trudeau's liberal government tabled emergency back to work legislation 
So Cup W represents roughly 50,000 postal workers and says that Canada Post needs to address issues that have stemmed from the explosive growth of parcel deliveries, including health and safety concerns and forced overtime. Tabled on Thursday, the emergency back-to-work legislation um, was passed late Friday night, effectively ends the rotating strikes and forces the postal workers back to work. The bill has now been sent to the Senate, which is holding a special weekend session. So by the time you hear this, your neighborhood mail carrier might be pissed the fuck off. Um, so throughout all of this, Canada's labor minister, Patty Hashdu, encouraged the two sides to continue to work to reach a deal. She said, quote, Obviously, we would prefer that the parties are able to negotiate an agreement together, but the time has come that we need to pre- be prepared to take action if they cannot. Has you referred to mail delivery as a quote-unquote essential service and said small businesses that rely on the postal service to deliver the, their goods over the busy Christmas season could go bankrupt if the situation isn't remedied quickly. Quote, and when I say small, I mean really small. I mean people that, you know, sell marmalade or handmade goods, that this is the most profitable time of, of their year. And if they are unable to make their earnings at this time of year, they very well might be facing the end of their business, end quote. I'm sorry, I couldn't even read it with a straight face. I, Get out of here. I, <laughs> because you know what? Let me tell you that the people who have that small of a business one, first Probably of all, they're mail. not, they um are ser- selling their shit on Etsy or at craft fairs. I was just about second to of say, all, yeah. Second of all, they probably also aren't living solely off that income and they very likely have a partner whose income they live <laughs> off and it's just kind of like a fun thing that they do. What's this magical small business? It's like the magical middle class, okay? I'm so tired of I the, mean these, the little these, really small these business. little mom and pop If someone businesses. is able to sustain like, you know, cost of living anywhere in this country on the sale of jam alone, I'd be <laughs> <laughs> Like it's wild. Touche. Because if you're if you are, you're definitely not a small business. You can absorb the no. cost of like it's shipping differently or some delay or like well whatever, that, right? at that like, point you're paying for like space to like prepare the f- the yeah, jam yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't you do it in your kitchen anymore on that level you can no longer do it in your kitchen you have to pay for industrial you know, space. you know what else small businesses are supposed to be is nimble and agile okay so this strike is not something new uh, okay, it, like it, we knew about this a month ago. If you're really that much of a small business, you can be agile and nimble to be like, "Hey, we're starting our Christmas sale earlier to this 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 year," <laughs> because you know how that's turning an opportunity, a crisis into opportunity. I've been watching Narcos Mexico. And that's, <laughs> what, that's what. He, but 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 it's a, but it's an opportunity. And then starts shipping like cocaine all over the globe. But anyway, <laughs> all this to say. Totally the same thing. Yeah, totally. Well, he adjusted, didn't he? <laughs> oh but also God. like. <laughs> like they I'm could, just saying. It's I a, hate it's, this so it's, much. They, it's, but like the small businesses could also switch to like FedEx or UPS or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm not here to tell them to do that. No, but, I'm just but, saying. But, like, but there, they, there are options. And like it, the whole thing is just so fucked up though. Like the whole framing of like business as uh you know like we, like why are bi- like 
what is this a fictional first of all fictionalized idea of small 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 business which great thank you for the new categorization because every time micro the liber- business every time the liberals nano business <laughs> every time the liberals want to do something that's good for big business like capital b business they pretend like they're speaking for small businesses that's what they all and then do use it to is a like a way to talk as a way to get gains for and what this is this is really about canada post making bank it is not about small businesses and it, it's about canada post not bleeding out more business because of the strike which already isn't happening there is people will continue to use canada post the whole intent i oh gosh i don't even know where to start with this shit. okay so what i want to start with is um given your your background amy it it doesn't sound like there are tons of intersectional pieces to this story but like there are obvious like implications like we've heard we've talked offline the three of us um about where the possible intersections are and how it could there could be there like they could actually be um negotiating on other things that weren't mentioned in the media and that they could be there just could be like adverse effects totally um so what are some of the things that you see so in terms of what cup w is striking over uh one of the big things is is pay equity between rural and urban letter carriers and the way that the collective agreement sets out pay is based on your route and like the de- like certain densities or like distance of your roots. So the, anyway, the way the way the math works out, rural carriers who tend to d- disproportionately and largely be women uh, end up getting paid less than urban letter carriers who tend to be men. Hmm. So there is a pay a, a significant pay equity issue. In fact, uh, there is a decision awarded against Canada Post around uh, pay equity. But the structure is in the collective agreement, so they need to renegotiate that. Do we know why the rural letter carriers tend, tend to, be to be more female? Uh, I'm sure someone is writing about this. I, I don't know off the top of my head. I think it, I think it's just about access to jobs in certain communities, and I think it might be, um, you know, mm. I, I, there might That's be just be other demographic, yeah. di- you know, divisions about... Um, how people work in, in different communities, but um, that's just, that's, that's typically how it's been. Um, and so that's really interesting. And to put it in context, the Fed, the liberal government, you know, the federal, like the federal liberals put out a budget implementation bill that includes pay equity legislation for the federal sector. And so mm-hmm. apparently, you know, so, pr- they, so they say pay equity is a big issue for them. And so here and here they are, you know, sort of taking away the one bargaining chip that the union has, which is the right to strike and say and saying, uh, you know, pay the issue that they've identified, pay, whether it pay equity being one of them, health and safety. There's a huge issue in, in terms of and we can get into that as well about what who that's affecting. But when we talk about health and safety, we're talking about, uh, you know, a workplace that is very physical. It's, it is he- difficult, challenging labor. When they talk about parcels being heavier, like it's, it's literally folks are lugging shit all the time. The number of injuries has risen, I think, like 40, 50 percent. So, you know, in the, in the in like last few years for uh, letter carriers at Canada Post, like it is grueling work. Uh, they have a lot of folks who have different accommodations, who uh, have workplace injuries with WSIB who or whatever the provincial uh, insurer may be, who have, um, you know, 
injury on duty, but injury even even beyond that. You have age, an aging workforce and all sorts of other factors. And so there are many things in terms of like what this means for persons with disabilities who now who work at Canada Post as well, too. And so you have a government that's saying like, look, we've expanded the health and safety uh, under the Canada Labor Code. We've, we, we, we want to bring in pay equity. We're doing all of these things. But yet is not allowing the union to actually fight for them where it matters, which is in the collective agreement with one of the largest federal sector employers, Canada Post. Like, that's wild. That's and it, so liberal, though. It, it, but it's just... It's, they like, and are no one's, lipstick on a yeah. pig. But no they one's really talking are. about this hypocrisy. Like, and it, I think that that's, that's so frustrating. And you can see that Cup W is like... I, I mean, they've been quite... Re- I, I've, I've heard... You know, letter carriers say they wish Cup W had gone for a full strike, but Cup W did the thing that they thought would mm-hmm. would endear them to the public, which is to do a rotating strike. I actually think it's been quite effective. I, yes, and it's it's strategic. So it's twenty four hours at any in in different cities. It rolls in gradually in, across the country. 24 hours at a time so that their backlog has not been as great as it would have been had they had a full out strike. Yeah, and, and like I have, I, I don't want to say been been the victim of, but I have like had several packages who have that have like arrived like weeks late because of the strike and i'm like oh this is like an inconvenience for me but like i get it sure it's absolutely and it's it's totally not um you know fatal like you know cup w has said that they are prioritizing and they're sorting and everything else um you know checks for um disability benefits for old age security that those are getting out and like I think that's fair, right? Because there's, the strike has to have teeth in order for it to be effective. Otherwise, it's not anything, right? So the, the and when we talk about the right to strike, first of all, it's it, the Supreme Court has found the right to strike is enshrined in Section Two D of the Charter, which guarantees you a right to association. And so as part of that, and there is a case in 2015 called Saskatchewan Federation of Labor case where the Saskatchewan Federation of Labor was challenging a provincial legislation that would broaden what essential services are so this type of designation and that essentially all public services by that right-wing government were deemed essential services so public service workers could not like essentially ever strike is more or less what their language was and without the ability to strike workers have no power to to bargain you have an employer that controls the purse strings controlling the conversation um, controls you know the the time like the timing i mean they don't necessarily control it but they have a lot of like leverage in the timing of negotiations everything else and the only thing workers have is the ability to withdraw their labor that's that's the bargaining chip and so you know what if you don't have that what do we have to force management into making concessions or into reaching an, an agreement and so that and that's and that is now constitutionally protected as a standalone at like right under the right to freedom of association. That's that is, is the freedom to strike is the freedom. It's the right to strike. So, so what's what, this back to work legislation? I think it's bu- I think how, it's bullshit. How I guess how so, legitimate yeah. is it? So the government if, gets if that's, to a, if that's a yeah. charter right. Yeah, I mean there there are exceptions for what's called essential services. So things that like you know not to do them would cause and typically like it would have to be the impact would have to be so significant either health and right. safety related public <sighs> like something so significant to the public interest that would be detrimental so firefighters police mm-hmm. officers paramedics, are yeah. paramedics are essential services those right. are like a bit more intuitive right yeah and like you could see that if there was a full out strike and yeah. they weren't 
doing anything. That's the thing. And so I actually think a rotating strike is definitely in keeping with the sentiment that they are to some extent an essential service. Mm-hmm. The other thing would be to say not every position is essential. Yeah. So that the complement of workers is is decreased to a certain like threshold. Which happens or at the federal like the government. Level yeah. Too. So in the government what happens is only certain positions mm-hmm. are essential. And you would have to essentially have your finger on a button that triggers like, you know, like you would you are so the at like ninety nine percent of workers aren't essential, yeah. but you know. So in um, so I saw that uh, Cup W is actually going to be suing the government over the back to work legislation. Good, they ought to. Um, I think that which is the right, what they yeah. did in two thousand and eleven, I mm-hmm. believe, under the Harper conservative government when they last were on strike, yeah. and yeah. I think they won that challenge yeah but that it didn't happen they didn't that verdict didn't come out for like several years after like where we are now there are definitely on strong footing to challenge this but it's just like the hypocrisy of the fucking liberal government the, yeah we to say that they are for workers and then do everything like on, on one mm-hmm. day to pay equity expanding the health and safety regulations under the canada labor code to include sexual harassment and psychological harassment and all of these things and then to do this fucking shit in so the same breath as outrageous does back to work legislation stop the negotiations? What back to work legislation would do, um, I think they may still have a shot to try the mediated route, um, but otherwise they go to uh, interest. Arb- uh, ultimately, the end result is interest arbitration, um, where you know a decision is handed out for you essentially. Right. Okay. Um, so, Erica, given uh, your media and communication savvy. Um, and how typically like unpopular strikes can be like, I remember, you know, growing up in BC, teachers in BC were on strike all the time and people were always very upset by it. Um, they generally like, it seemed like people were always upset at the teachers. Um, do you think that the public would be more empathetic to striking workers if unions were better able to tell the stories about their workers yes. and how like what they're asking for would benefit their people around them who live like could be their neighbor yeah they've been terrible at at communicating we live okay so we over the past i would say 30 years ever since um probably reagan's air traffic control control strike standoff with the air traffic controllers in 1980 81, 82, some early 80s. The conservatives have had this um, monopoly on telling the story of the union and why unions are bad and why none of us should be how we're holding ourselves back if we if we organize mm-hmm. with the union. And it's not surprising that over that time we have lost a lot of the gains labor has made is mainly because we have bought into this idea that, you know, collective action is somehow communism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that benefits them because for obvious reasons, um, the responsibility of management to, um, to labor is to me at an all time low in terms of like the post World War II framework or the post New Deal framework, let's say. So, I mean, to me, 
unions haven't really been good at telling, at reintroducing people as to strikes and why they they have strikes and what it means for them and really what's happening. Because I saw I saw a tweet with all these like injuries that postal mm-hmm. postal carriers have suffered and it's it's quite gruesome actually mm-hmm. and um you know I, I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about the honest truth mm-hmm. from their sort of platforms that they have independent of mainstream media Mainstream media has also done a shitty job oh, that's at the telling the story, <laughs> right? They don't tell stories anymore. They don't yeah. do any investigations. No. And they don't have labor reporters. And they don't, and they don't, they don't yeah. get that scene. They don't like they they give it no mind. They have business reporters and they have business sections. And that's yeah. all they write about. Yeah. And just to like add another like you know, the big fixation in Ontario has been the OCS, the Ontario cannabis store you know part delivery delays and for some reason like every article about it seems to have a like repeat the phrase that the ocs was putting out which is that the the reason for the delay was the strike which was not at all true patently Mm -hmm. untrue but they kept using the strike as a scapegoat for why the cannabis deliveries were late and you know what happened they all ended up getting delivered on the same day when eventually i think it's because after they sorted shit out at the ocs distribution center not at canada post and then everybody got their deliveries within two days meaning that canada post is fully functional that they were absolutely able to respond and ship out a significant amount of shipments hundreds of thousands of or tens of thousands of shipments within two days that had supposedly been in a backlog with canada post completely untrue and then media allowed that narrative to continue over and over again pretending like it actually without say sending investigative reporters to the distribution center yeah i you know the um the mainstream media has just been lazy in general in terms of the way they report stories and the nuances and the history of it, they have no idea. Totally. And so it seems to me, uh, which which reminds me, I see that um, the government is considering like propping up newspapers, and I'm like, no, let them go. Just let them go. <laughs> they're just they're just not. I you know we can get into. I see the whole press is going to be an election issue. Mm. Um, but let's, let's be, let's be critical about this press because they have been doing some lazy reporting. I mean, one, one unfounded series does not make up for all of the stuff they don't know how to report on. Like, uh, to Toronto stars, a, uh, headline about anchor babies. Yeah. That's Mm. another one. Do you see that? Yeah. I saw that. And then they, the they, truth behind anchor babies and why women uh, will have children. Can't, and they use the expression anchor babies. Like, I'm not even embellishing. I know. I saw that print. Like, yeah. yeah. And this this is what I'm supposed to contribute to. Yeah. I'm not going to think stand so. Yeah. I just don't think so. So, no, I refuse. I will be in incognito mode for a while. <laughs> but, uh, you know, your <laughs> I point. Refuse. I really appreciate your point, too, about the, the history and like the stifling of the labor movement, like in a structured way. Like, it's. I mean, government has no interest in telling you about labor. It's not it's not we don't study the history of unions in this country, which is really fucked up, Mm-mm. even though 
pretty much or movements or movements and pretty much everything that you have like that we all have that we benefit from i mean maternity leave literally yep. maternity leave started as a cup double as a cup w demand that they got in a collective agreement after a strike Wow, and that is why we ever yeah. it, like they they were the first to that they striked on that issue, and now maternity leave is like, it, it, well, one guaranteed, and two like at like at a minimum level through EI, and now you know we it's in every collective agreement. Mm-hmm. It would be like parental leave and and, and you know like it, it's wild that we don't know that history and to, and the history of all other th- you know, so many other things i mean the the reason we have human rights legislation that we have protections against discrimination stem from the labor movement fighting for those things and having and having them enshrined in collective agreements protecting a harassment health and safety legislation like employers used to not give a fuck about health and safety workers fought for that strikes on that issue this is exactly what's happening now in this strike um, and you know, and now of course employers pretend like they invented health and safety. So every time you want to do something that they don't like, they act like, <laughs> oh, okay. but we've forgotten the root of all of that was worker action. And how do we get those things? And so activism. By, collect, act and activism. Yeah. So yeah. I'm tired of this activism as a dirty word uh, because it got you yeah. where you are, honey. Like at the same time, um, I think that two, two things that I think are, are, really important to watch number one i really like like i really am interested in this growth of packages and how amazon and online retailing has contributed to all of that Mm -hmm. so that's a consequence that we probably didn't foresee back in 99 or wherever when this stuff was happening understood but let's acknowledge that that is the new reality reality that most postal workers are not carrying letters they're carrying heavy packages from your amazon purchase so connecting those is um becomes a digital issue too um and especially for rural people who live in rural areas especially uh, who find that more convenient, assuming that they have, you know, some broadband internet, sure. mm-hmm. <laughs> which is another issue, yep. um, is and and how and then take it a step further and how that impacts women, especially. And maybe perhaps it's there's a gender sort of lens there mm-hmm. as to as to who's doing most of the ordering and who's mm-hmm. doing most of the delivering. Mm-hmm. I think there's an important gender lens to be had. Sure, yeah. Um, the other part is I understand the Canada Post wanted to go into or into banking. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and I I think that's a very important issue. Uh, to talk about even though it got defeated Mm -hmm. i understand that i don't think the issue is dead though Mm -hmm. and this rural urban divide is it's a huge issue that we don't talk about either because obviously most of the papers are you know centered around toronto yeah and that might be part of it yeah for sure yeah and um and we're all supposed to live life through toronto's lens (laughs) But that is a divide that heavily affects politics and political outcomes. Mm-hmm. And um, this Canada Post striking issue is a very, very interesting sort of microcosm probably of that issue. Yeah, I just want to like flag that um, 
like really drive the point home that this makes Trudeau's Liberal Party no different than Harper's Conservatives. Mm. Like there have been a number of ways in which, you know, we've been able to see similarities between the parties and how they've been run and the types of legislation they've passed. But like this very much is very similar to what uh, mm. the conservatives did. And Absolutely. also, and also, um, so Maxime Bernier, <laughs> the the leader of the People's Party of Canada, I guess, is what he is. Um, it's a made up party. I was going to say, it's so funny to have that. Because, I mean, he could say he's founder until he's elected. Sure. I feel like they need to have their own democratic <laughs> thing. <laughs> he was saying that... Um, he believes that they should be legislated back to work, the postal workers, mm-hmm. because well, Christmas is coming up and everyone needs their gifts. Yeah, that's not how that was, that works. That's uh, uh, but then like also that is not the what liberals are also saving the exact same thing. They're citing secularism as a reason to basically make people go back to work instead of like fighting and setting it for what they believe in. Uh, so moving on. Or in keeping kind of the same thread of pay equity um, and equality. Um, a clip of Ellen Pompeo went viral this week. Ellen Pompeo plays Meredith Grey in Grey's Anatomy, in case you have no idea who she is, when, what case, what the hell. Um, so this clip went viral when she sat down with Gabrielle Union, Gina Rodriguez, and Emma Roberts for Porte Magazine's annual Women in Television issue. Uh, the women engage in a revealing 20-minute conversation following their photo shoot uh, discussing sexism, the pay gap, and racism in Hollywood. Pompeo, while discussing diversity at her children's school in Hollywood, called out the magazine for not having enough pe- color- people of color at the shoot. And this is the part that went viral. Uh, this day has been incredible, and there's a ton of women in the room, but I don't see enough color. And I didn't see enough color when I walked in the room today. And uh, I had a meeting with a director of another uh, endorsement project that I'm doing. I said, you know, when I show up on set, I would like to see the crew look like the world that I walk around in every day. And I think it's up to all productions to make sure that your crew looks like the world we see. As Caucasian people, it's our job. It's our task, it's our responsibility to make sure that we speak up in every single room we walk into. So here's the thing, though. Ellen Pompeo has a history of speaking out on race, gender, and Hollywood's wage gap. Um, Definitely, like, the earliest I can remember this happening uh, was in January of this year, where Pompeo um, was very forthright in her most recent contract negotiations Um, at Grey's Anatomy and she told a story about how when she was still working with Patrick Dempsey when he was on the show um, the employers often pitted her against him and they would always use him as leverage against her and she said in an interview um, with the Hollywood Reporter quote they could always use him as leverage against me oh we don't need you we have Patrick which they did for years I don't know if they did that to him because he and I never discussed our deals. At one point, I asked for $5,000 more than him just on principle because the show is Grey's Anatomy and I'm Meredith Grey, but they wouldn't give it to me. And I could have walked away. So why didn't I? It's my show. I'm the number one. 
And so she kept that conversation going uh, through a number of interviews that she has done over the past year. And I think it's also important to highlight that uh, Ellen Pompeo is married to a black man and she has mixed race babies. I was going to say that if yeah. you didn't. Yeah. 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 So she the she wants to raise her daughter in an environment where that where she has um, strong mixed race or black figures around in everyday society. Not all white women with mixed children are like that, though. Oh, no. We've talked about many of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Ellen Pompeo is getting a lot of um, praise all over the Internet, saying that she is just the way that allies should be. And uh, yeah. Any any thoughts? Uh, Sorry, I got distracted reading about other odd interactions that um, Ellen Pompeo has had because I was on, you know, following this sort of unravel on Twitter. And at first, like the knee jerk reaction is be like, oh, like, I guess like that's cool. Like someone is speaking out. But I mean, it seems like Ellen Pompeo has had like a weird history of like trying to like get into talking about race where she just like kind of like railroads over people and i'm just reading uh her um there's an interview with shonda uh rhymes and uh carrie washington and viola davis and and ellen pompeo where i guess viola davis talks about how uh she can't be sexualized in the roles that she plays um and some of the uh issue you know and like that's sort of how it's taught like starts and like the depiction of her character how radical uh that typically is in the, in the landscape and um you know but and gets into uh, i'm just trying to see here um yeah there's just like a back and forth with with pompeo a little bit about um you know race in the history of uh racism in the country and and I guess Ellen Pompeo's eyes start to well up and she like is crying because of this, this, this like slight, I guess, or this disagreement. And like, there's like Viola Davis is carrying on like quite eloquently and like walks out of the room and, and comes back. And like, if, you know, it's just like, it's just a little bit odd that she would be in a sit down interview, like, you know, not being able to wear a slight, a very slight criticism of her politics. Um, she also has started a number of arguments with people on Twitter with with black women on Twitter. And there are a few, you know, go on Twitter. You'll see many different accounts of, of her getting into arguments with folks. Uh, and her response is to use her, um, you know, her marriage and her children to say that she experiences or understands the racism when talking to black people. So she'll be like, Oh, I experienced racism because my husband and my kids. And also someone called me a white bitch once apparently like, so she's like said <laughs> this to one woman and, uh, but like ignores, you know, the black women she's speaking to as like, and their experiences. Um, someone else, you know, had an exchange with her cause she uses black emojis on Twitter. And like, you know, again, her response was like very like, I'm, sort of the victim here i have a right to use black emojis i experience blackness because i'm like proximate to it kind of and like so what you're saying is that she's a fraud i'm just you know i just think we need to be like like with any white person who wants to step in and talk about race i think we need to like take a beat and be like okay but like is this how much is this about you right yes and like you know, and what are you doing to amplify other voices? And do you need to be the one like speaking in this way? And like, can you take your ego out of it? Like, I don't think that like just basic apps. I'm not saying that I'm not like 
Sure. It's a low bar, though, what we have. Like, to be celebrating Ellen Pompeo's comet, which is, like, literally the bare minimum, which women of color have been saying since the beginning of time. Mm. I just feel like it's it's just frustrating. Yeah, so I definitely don't doubt that she has faced racism because she's in a a mixed-race marriage and that she has, like, a biracial daughter. And I think that... But, like, she needs to realize that, like, that is not the same as, you know, living as a black person. Yeah, yeah. Experiencing racism by proxy is not, like, it doesn't necessarily put you, it doesn't give you cookies. And I... You don't get ally cookies because you are dating somebody. Because as we've seen with the Michelle Williams and her fiancé, Michelle Williams, who used to be in uh, Destiny's Child... Like, there are a lot of people out there who want to um, want to date black people without talking about race. Mm. So, which, it mystifies me, but mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, they don't want to talk about it, or when they talk about it, they talk about it in such a way that it centers them. Which is not surprising. I mean, she's she's She's, an actress. She's an actress, but she's also like very, like very, and like I don't want I don't mean this in like a negative way, but she's very ambitious and very like self centered. She said in several interviews, "My husband doesn't mind that I'm bossy and that I'm ambitious," and so she her even her like marriage is very centered around her. Mm -hmm. So I think she's just mostly narcissistic. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) like yeah. I I don't know I don't know what her what her motivations are I'm I don't know like but like go and read some of her replies because it's very much like race isn't a black people problem it's an everybody problem like this was her reply to the person who said she shouldn't use black emojis as a white person like it's just not like it's it's a little bit nonsense like you know it's just like that like liberal nonsense of like you know. I'm do I'm doing something. How dare you be upset? I'm on I'm on your side, and I I've been I've been doing things, and it's like but like you're missing, you're bypassing the critique entirely, yeah, and like you have no willingness to actually engage with. Yeah, me. I, I think she largely means well and isn't yeah. looking for like ally cookies, but like yeah. is putting her head in the sand for like the actual criticism that would mm-hmm. make her arguments better and stronger. Mm-hmm. And maybe position her in a different and more supportive mm. role rather than, you know, yeah. jazzercise. Look at me. Jazzercise. Look at me. I'm here. Do you think Ellen Pompeo watches How to Get Away with Murder? Totally. You think? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, I actually don't know. I think she does. I think it, I think she... I think she's all caught up. I think she's watched it twice. I think it's I think like, she's probably jealous of Ailes. I haven't watched this season. I feel like there's, you know. I'm not trying to make it like a catty thing, but I just feel like they definitely like. <sighs> here is someone who's, who actually knows what they're, they're talking about in a sense on issues of race, who has also deservingly won many awards for a performance that I think is a lot better than Pompeo's role in Grey's Anatomy. Well, Viola Davis just blew. Like no, I, don't, I, I wouldn't even put them on the same level. Viola Davis just Mm-mm. just transcends. Like, 
television. You know what I mean? Like she's just. But there's like the black Shonda shows and then there's the white Shonda show, which is Grey's. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call. I mean, Grey's That's is a very diverse show. Like as a show, it's no, good. No, I get it. Because it's get a it. Shonda show. No, I get it. But like it is the white show. I get yeah. it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I get it. I don't know. Maybe I'm making something of no, nothing. No, 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 no. I get it. No, no, no. It's true, though, because yeah. like I feel like Shonda writes. Like well, those really shows are a lot blacker too. Like the context, so the content of them is like politically, but like I both would scandal. S- I'm thinking of scandal as well. Yeah. Like the leads and the, yeah. the content of yeah. it is. is but like, I would say that like the, like how to get away with murder and scandal were more seeped in black culture, whereas d- as diverse as the mm-hmm. Grace cast is and has been, doesn't necessarily like they talk about race sometimes, yeah. Yeah. but. They don't it's secondary or even it's, tertiary. It's not. To, yeah. It's not like oh, like that person did the blackest thing. Yeah, which yeah. in like in How to Get Away with Murder, when Annalise takes off her wig, you're like, yeah. oh fuck. Yeah. Which is, I think, like, I so think that it's, I, so that Entertainment Weekly interview is like about that sort of thing, and you can see that there is like a tension there, and I th- and and. I think, you know, I mean, Grace had its heyday in it, which is now long past, and Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder, which are speaking to an audience I think Ellen Pompeo wishes she was speaking to because she can't, like, be in... Well, and the and fact she's that, not like, quite in that scene. Like, I just, you know, I get the vibe from her that she's one of those people who, like... I, mean, I don't want to say, like, wishes they were black, but, like, wants to be... There's definitely a black... She wants to be the queen bee. Yeah, but there's definitely a black... Like, a like a white gaze there. Like, she... Like, like I feel like there... I she's know what looking you for mean. an invitation to take up space in that community, yeah. almost. Yeah. There, there's definitely a white gaze coming from her. I will say that, because... <sighs> I I see what you're saying. I'm just really distrusting. I I see what you're saying, and um, so bringing up the black Shonda shows and the white Shonda shows, um, I don't think any of the shows are de- are steeped in black culture, but you're, they are definitely speaking to a different audience. Oh, the audiences are totally and different. the the but there's like and but the reason that they're so popular is that they don't stay within that audience Mm -hmm. it's all these white people looking over the fence Mm. with their white gaze to be like okay what are the black people doing this is this is really interesting is she taking off her wig oh my god black tv exactly like oh my gosh i get what they say on twitter now about wig snatching you know what i mean (laughs) it's like it's like that stuff and it's it's very much, and that happens. Like we talk about the male gaze all the time, right? But there's definitely a white gaze, and I think Ellen Pompeo has it hard. <laughs> so, like, she will speak on. So she will get. She will try to speak to a black, like, I don't know. Like she, it's like she wants to be at the cookout, at the barbecue, the right. cookout. And she wants the invitation. So she'll she'll give all these signals to say that she's cool. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So basically, and I just want to like break in a bit. White guys have this, white guys who date black girls have mm-hmm. this way of like, of introducing themselves and they'll introduce themselves with like a, when I say introduce, not only hi, how are you, mm-hmm. but introduce themselves to you as yeah. in this I'm down with you type of way. Okay. Seriously, it's a thing. I don't doubt it. And um, 
I feel like that's Ellen Pompeo. Like she's just setting up these <laughs> yeah, yeah, signals yeah. that's like, yeah. I'm down with you. And white women do this too, especially when they're dating black guys. They will be like, it's okay. I'm okay. I'm, I've seen this ever since I was a teen. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's this unwritten sort of gesture. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's Ellen Pompeo in like, in on, at scale. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, so I see where you're coming from. Okay. Yet the problem is, is that they don't really get it and they don't give space for not getting it because they've invested so much in trying to get mm-hmm. it. I mean, you know, I don't want to take too much away from, you know, dissuading people to take up like their privilege and like, you know, where they, you know, see a lack of sure. representation. Like, I think you should speak on it. It's not at all what I'm saying. I just I just want to make sure that we're not rewarding, you know, literally the ba- like what is the basic. And I mean, I think we need to bring everybody up to this level where people, you know, use their privilege and positions yeah. of power to raise these. Yeah, things. I think but like I, I don't want to reward Ellen Pompeo. That's I think all I'm saying. on its face, like she did the right thing and said the yeah, right thing. Totally. But like there's just a larger picture to mm-hmm. to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Um, wow. Uh, so we are gonna we're gonna get a little bit more serious on this one. Um, a recent academic article by Dr. Cecilia Sorensen um, at the UC Health University of Colorado Hospital in Aurora, Colorado, adds gender to the conversation of climate change, spotlighting the insidious and often ignored ways that climate change impacts women's health more severely than it does men's. For example. Inhaled particles appear to settle in women's airways and lungs at higher rates than men's, which could lead to higher risks of cardiovascular, pulmonary, and respiratory diseases among women compared to men breathing the exact same air. And physiologic factors like these, sorry, add physiological factors like these to the cultural and socioeconomic challenges that women face around the world, and climate change is poised to magnify gender-based health disparities. So with the 2008 cyclone in Myanmar, partially what it came down to was cultural. So women were staying at home with children, and they weren't supposed to be walking on the street alone. They were waiting for their male relative to come home before they fled. And they may not have known how to swim. And after the disaster, you're looking at a population where women are malnourished, both in the macronutrient and micronutrient standpoint at baseline, and they're disproportionately affected by food insecurity following disasters. And then after Hurricane Katrina, there were reports of sexual assaults that happened in emergency shelters when women were left without gender-specific shelters. Sexual violence happens everywhere after disasters, and we've seen that after many disasters. Women who have also lost their jobs and have low socioeconomic status are less likely than men to find new jobs when they are displaced. So we still see these gender-based differences both in the U.S. and Canada and abroad, but, you know, we definitely are a little bit more buffered in North America than in a developing or third world country. Um, I think this is also very similar to something we've spoken about before, which is environmental racism, where a lot of the the effects of... Um, I remember reading something very specific, very similar to the particles in the lungs where um, down in the southern United States in the quote-unquote ghettoized black communities, um, they tend to be downwind from a lot of 
um, farmland. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. when crops are sprayed, those crops, um, the winds tend to blow those chemicals down into these communities. And in the south, if you live in an older building, you don't have air Mm -hmm. conditioning. So you've got your windows open and those particles come in through the window. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a little higher um, instances of of um illnesses Mm -hmm. anyway um i think that this is definitely something that is overlooked in canada both from a racial and gender standpoint um and uh yeah i i have a a lot to say about the disaster parts just because Mm -hmm. i wrote something very similar about this in the um ottawa citizen following the tornadoes that we had um in september um but yeah amy interested to hear your thoughts on uh on this because this is something I don't think yeah I don't know were you around when we talked about environmental racism yep yeah I do remember that discussion yeah I think it's um (coughs) there there's so much uh, to to think about there um I was just thinking of like you know Canadian examples I mean in the in the context in our you know national conversation on climate change we seem to have like no appreciation for what it means for northern and northern indigenous communities and like you know the i mean actually a lot of the best climate change activism by best i mean like you know like uh, steadfast activism and, and some of the earliest activism around climate change has been from the in, indigenous northern indigenous communities um because that's where the you know sig- change has been you know no, like significantly noted um you know so much earlier on than than i think it hit the mainstream and and you have sig- impacts on um you know industry hunt like hunting fishing um uh you know even the ability to to move around uh in the north uh has been significantly changed the landscape has changed um and we don't talk about it from that lens even though we pretend to talk about reconciliation and (laughs) on the you know on the other out of the other side of our mouths right and those those things i mean i don't know i don't know that we have quite Despite the uh, the TRC recommendations, I think as a country, we don't really know what reconciliation means. I don't think we're even ready for it because we can't even have informed discussions about some of the most basic things. Uh, it's because we keep having them from a business perspective. Well, that that's certainly it. Yeah. I mean, you okay. look at the the, the pipeline. I, I mean, the pipeline being the, the enti- best example of the that. entire yeah. climate change sort of quote unquote debate is how much it will cost businesses. Yeah, that yes. is the and entire taxpayers. and taxpayers because we're taxpayers first and not citizens. And this is exactly what. But I'm it's not even citizens. About. It's literally just humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like I'm sure that there are some people who are like, well, you started about talking about climate change. How did you get to natural disasters? Well, climate change oh, yeah, increases sorry. increases the risk of natural disasters. Like <laughs> we call them let's climate change, climate related disasters. Let's go back to basics. Yeah, here, just in case we got any deniers in the uh, <laughs> crowd. Uh, but that's why we're seeing yeah. like hurricanes that are so much more severe mm-hmm. and the effects of which are so much more severe than they were in previous years. And that's why we're seeing so much more flooding happen um, because, you know, things are getting so much more cold and then there's so much more ice that is melting and then it's flooding. Um, And then we've got more wildfires because the, the climates are just so much more dry. But yeah, so like 
people who are evacuated yeah. for instance you know we had uh, the fort mcmurray fires mm. um people just had to leave their belongings and flee this the town that they were living in um we had an ice storm here about a decade or so ago 15 years ago after which you know in there was an increase of calls to 911 uh and to women's shelters that reported sexual assaults mm-hmm. like this That's, happens yeah. in canada it doesn't yeah. happen necessarily because of a hurricane but it happens with other things um and we are just seeing more and more ice storms mm-hmm. and you know we're, it's november and the weather in ottawa has been very very cold and it could be that we're gonna see experience a very bad ice storm mm-hmm. this year like people are preparing for that mm-hmm. And uh, after a tornado in September. Yeah. So, I mean, climate change, people are like, oh, why isn't it getting warmer here? And I'm like, that's not what it is. But even if it does, that's still not not, right either. Yeah. (laughs) That happens in BC. BC now has like very little winter, Mm -hmm. like rain season. It Mm -hmm. rains throughout the year more Mm -hmm. regularly. But like. The well, summers are very, very well, we, hot. I mean, we've been affected by, by droughts across the yep. continent. Um, I will say that, like, <sighs> at least in Canada, in developing, you know, responses at the federal level for disasters, like, they, there is gender-based analysis taken into account. Um, and in theory, from an environmental perspective, the same thing should be happening. But I just don't see, like our minister of environment and climate change talking about women or like uh, what climate change discrimination now? with regards to women and or people of color. It's just from like, her. Are you serious? I don't expect this from her. I don't think that she is. I don't believe the liberal party is that deep into it, to be honest. I think they have, they're just like, let's put in this, this, um, tax or this 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 economic system it's all economics for them it's it has nothing to do with social consequences of anything i mean the amount of narrow-minded thinking and in this debate is gross and the thing is again our media does nothing to even ask the fucking questions why don't we have if we've been studying climate change for this long why don't we have those those distributional effects or 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 data according to that why i i just don't understand i don't understand how we can sit here and pretend like we're doing something or we're concerned we don't even know what the potential consequences are at least i don't think we've been talking about that in an inclusive way at all not in this country mm you know, like I, this country looks at issues as though only white middle class people work here, like live here and give a shit all about anybody else. That's my problem. And our our environmental minister is no different. No different. She's spoken on nothing about gender, nothing about race, nothing about how how, you know, people who are living even the rural urban difference. We haven't even talked about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the the like basics with which we should be talking about something that's going to adversely affect us within the next 12 years is astounding to me. 
absolutely astounding. We have like what did what did the climate science twenty thirty twenty? It's twenty almost fucking nineteen. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel like some people are going to add us and say that Catherine McKenna had a summit for G7 leaders on climate change and gender. But honestly, like, I think all she pretty much said about that was that they need to train up negotiators to be at women as negotiators, be at the table uh, for climate discussions and, and other things. But. I mean, I've yeah, we've not really seen her propose anything domestically, though, that no. addresses any of those things. I don't know how, like, be clear on what the critique is. Oh, no, is. the like, liberal government is very much... service. <laughs> the liberal government is very much about trying to get other countries to include Absolutely. gender in their policies, yes, but yes, then yes. do nothing at home. Yeah. And, and that's true of, of most... Of, of everything. Yeah. Like, every file. Yeah. <laughs> Health. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Immigration. Yeah. I wonder, I, sometimes I look at these people and I'm like, what world are you living in? Which world is it? Because I, I just don't, I don't see it. Well, you know, doing, and, and this is like also not dissimilar to critiques of development work in general, but like doing work abroad or advocating for human rights or whatever it is elsewhere gets you so much credit with liberals at home but none of the backlash from conservatives. And it is like the most like politically cynical way to talk about these issues without actually achieving anything because, you know, your impact abroad is, is limited and then you're doing nothing at home. In fact, you're probably doing by doing nothing. You're actually doing harm. And but that's like the liberal approach. They, like they they want to they want to have a platform to say all the nice things they want to say without having to uh, you know upset the folks that may be upset with them if they do it. And so therefore they take no political no real political risk and then also do nothing meaningful. Maybe it's just a reflection of Canadians. I should hope not, but I mean. We'll see. <laughs> Find out sometime next year. <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm just saying like we love to pay. We as a country love to pay lip service to a lot of things that we don't actually want to actually get yes. our hands dirty about. Yes. And we love comfort. We prize okay. comfort over everything. Comfort and stability. It's the Canadian way. Because if we actually had to fight peace, for something. Peace, order, and good government. There you go. If we actually had to fight for something and be inconvenienced, yeah, that will be the worst thing ever. How we won the War of 1812, I don't really know. The mm -hmm. British did. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> they organized us. <laughs> Let's be real. Don't at me because you know it's true. <laughs> Now we're moving on to rent and receipts. This is where we each bring something to tell the others about. And I think Erica is going to go first. Yay. So I'm going to bitch about Hillary because <laughs> that's what I do. Um, and Hillary keeps... I, I don't think I've talked about... I've mentioned her, but I haven't had like a Hillary story. Not in a while. Not in a while. Okay. So... On my, I guess I'm on this phase where I just want to like stomp out all the bullshit feminism going on. And so last week it was Sheryl Sandberg. And this week it's Hillary, my favorite. So Hillary, who has maybe, she's playing coy with the idea of her running again in 2020. 
And um, so, in other words, she's on uh, she's on tour or something. I don't know what she's doing. Anyway, she had an interview with The Guardian with other sort of centrist politicians like Tony Blair and the former Italian P- PM. Is it Matteo? I want to say. Anyway. And she basically talked about immigration and its connection to the rise of the far right. So she praised the generosity shown by Angela Merkel, but suggested that immigration was inflaming voters and contributed to the election of Donald Trump and Britain's Brexit vote um, earlier that year. So she says, quote, I think Europe needs to get a handle on migration because that is what lit the flame. Um, I admire the very generous and compassionate approaches that were taken particularly by leaders like Angela Merkel. But I think it's fair to say that Europe has done its part and must send a very clear message. We are not going to be able to continue to provide refuge and support. Because if we don't deal with the migration issue, it will continue to roil the body politic. So, um, there were many who were surprised at these comments, which basically gave a pass to the far right and their so-called values and kind of boarded that train to... um, I don't know, to like Hitlerville, I I guess. I don't know what she's doing. Anyway, so uh, in the same Guardian, there's this rebuttal piece. And I'm just going to make some points from it, which I thought were really good with her flawed thinking, which is really a centrist approach to pander to, you know, wherever the wind's blowing. So assume it assumes the results of populist politicking are in fact its sources. So Clinton believes she is on to something, but is offering nothing new. In the past two years, accepting the populist version of events and painting the left as as out of touch has become a genre of its own, a strain of thought that holds that the success of immigration rhetoric of populism is organic inevitable and a quote backlash of some sort rather than one of the several ways the populist politicians build grievance so what this person is saying is that she's just playing into their game by and by giving it some sort of legitimacy um another another flaw is that and is like a tenet of centrist politics is that one whose adherents attack the left for being unrealistic and unconcerned with electoral victory, that on immigration it has stuck to pandering to xenophobia despite the benefits of that never materializing at the ballot box. So the more sort of um, pressure centrist politicians put on these immigration policies uh, in favor of right-wing politicking is they're not going to be rewarded for it at the ballot box which is what they want 
And populist support did not flare up unstoked. It is the result of concerted media and political campaigns that at best were met with the natural tepid language of, quote, legitimate concerns. And so I just want to say that that's why communication from the left is an important thing. And also that the battlefield is in communications. Mm. It is in spreading the message. And from the left, I'm not sure that we kind of understand it to its, um, its contextual and sophisticated results. But definitely centrist don't think about that at all. And they think that it's a bunch of people just coming together who who organically have these concerns and do not pay attention to the media and the communication strategies that have spread throughout um, throughout the U.S. and throughout Britain, especially with Cambridge Analytica. And that's how that's my rent and receipts, really. So in other words, Hillary Clinton doesn't get it. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, too, is that I just find what is really, really troubling about her comments is that they're not even steeped in fact, like Mm -hmm. like illegal border crossings with Mexico and the United States are at like what a 30 or 40 year low. Um In 2016, only three of the 16 states with immigrant populations above 10% voted for Trump. That's the real issue. Mm -hmm. That's what they're fighting for. Mm -hmm. It's not because they have legitimate concerns on immigration. It is always about the shift in power. And this is the problem with people and their fucking moderate politics, okay? In times when we need a little bit more radicalism. I'm not saying we need radicalism forever. I'm just saying we're at the time Mm -hmm. that maybe a little bit more radicalism would help, especially from these fucking centrists. But they're exactly the people that Martin Luther King talked about who want the comfort of injustice instead of the mild discomfort of justice. I'm just saying. Should we do a new segment that is uh, the white called the white moderate? (laughs) I should do a segment called white moderate moderate of the week. Yeah. Be fun addition. We would never run out of content. (laughs) I like this idea, Amy. All of a sudden, I'm like, hmm. The wheels are turning. Like a bonus pod. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Fuck Hillary Clinton. She's the worst. I like a one. At first, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm a little surprised that she's putting out something like that so quickly. Like, as such a bold-faced opinion but like you know she's gonna be touring around like doing all sorts of talk i mean she already is that's why nobody making banks selling book like trying to argue this like new critical view on shit her and david from can like bffs again the fucking warmonger tony blair yeah yeah he was speaking to her and sell books and shit just (laughs) talking about how they you know they too wish that they could help people if only, uh, but only to a certain point after which there's diminishing return on their uh, open borders. Uh. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't um, 
discount the fact that like Hillary has played an important role in politics and the fact that she was able to be the first woman who received the nomination of a federal party in America. Mm-hmm. But she just needs to sit the fuck down and just fade in the background and just be done. Just stop. And she weaponizes stop. sexism mm-hmm. in a way that I think is gross is that she doesn't want to admit that people just don't like her because she can't be trusted. Like, these are fair critiques. Hillary Clinton can't be trusted is a fair critique. I totally agree. Because because in 2016, this wasn't her stance. Mm -hmm. It's only been two years. What the fuck? She, she, She always waffles. You can follow her entire history from, you know... Before being a first lady, her, her her work to the point at which her record as a senator was awful for that sort of like flip-flopping when she became secretary of state took on a completely different persona when she became a no- the nominee to a completely different persona. I mean, it's like, it's why, yeah, she's completely un- untrustworthy. She's also like the most privileged person to have probably like white woman have ever walked the earth and never seems to acknowledge that yeah. and wants to act like she's making gains for all women when she is only making have, has only ever made gains for Hillary. Clinton. It's because she views herself like, yes, she's like I said, has done accomplished great things, but yeah, she still views herself as a victim because she was just, you know, unfairly treated for all of these things and da 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 da. Everyone was always out to get her, but that doesn't make her not privileged. That's the other thing that really fucking irritates me about her. She just keeps she, trying to prove she, people wrong. When she she weaponizes her white tears. I totally think, I agree. I remember, remember when she was losing in New Hampshire primary against Obama in 2008 mm-hmm. and then she started crying and everybody's like, oh, Hillary, those were weaponized white tears. Mm-hmm. And she does this. She, she waffles between these fucking hot takes, okay? And then she's like, oh, but... Y- People just hate me because of I'm a woman. It's like, yeah. no. People what? don't think I'm nurturing enough, and that's why they think I'm angry and they can't relate to me, which is super sexist. Well, actually, she's saying like flagrantly offensive shit about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Whatever, and she like, uses sexism as a yeah. smokescreen for her, for her own in it, yeah. like incompetence. It's not to say that she couldn't have experienced some degree of sexism, mm-hmm. but I mean, the many opportunities that she has had. A time and time again, uh, done decent, but like her argument forever for being elected, and God help us if she runs again, is strictly in like entitlement. Like she's, yeah. she feels like she's owed. Yes, like she's overdue yes. for for her time. Yes, but the presidency is something you you know, like at some point, like you are the most senior person, and so therefore you must be the yeah. person. And it, it's not a seniority system. It does not operate that way. You are not entitled to it. Your ideas are bunk. You've contributed some things in some limited roles, and that's fine. But, like, learn to step the fuck away. Um, and, like, just the whole, I- the, the whole idea that we should be beholden to her because she is a woman. Like, I just, like, feel get so frustrated how quickly people are, like, jump to her defense over the smallest thing because she's experienced, you know, because she had, like, because she is experienced running as a woman, period. When her, when her experience as a candidate has always, has always has to be seen through the lens of her surname, her history already having been in the White House, her, you know, her class privilege, her, her 
like her proximity to power, the people that the people that she surrounds herself with, some of whom are like really problematic. Um, And, you know, and and I take that same view of all men in power, too. Like, I don't think it's sexist to say that Hillary Clinton is one of the most uh powerful and also destructive like in terms of like open transparent and fair government <laughs> government i don't think i don't that, think that's unfair i don't think I that's don't. unfair but people are constantly like oh, you know jump to her defense because she's a woman i think that's bullshit i yeah this idea that we have to support her because she's a woman is exactly mm-hmm. the entitlement attitude that she would carry this idea that well that she's owed that's exactly it Mm -hmm. when she made comments about wanting to run again she's like well i think i'd really like to be president and i'm just like wait you know what i like to be president too yeah seriously it fucking works why don't you go work on enfranchising people and like doing the work of like you know go whatever go become like you are not above going to become a governor uh, you know in new york or something like or whatever whatever like you the, you can still work in politics it's like i i can't be president i don't want to do anything my life in public service is over now i'm going to charge hundreds of thousands of dollars for speaking engagements and tours that i'm going on like that like it, it, it can't be one or both i i really distrust your your sense of civic duty if like what you're doing now is going to uh you know consult for you know, McKinsey and like do like, you know, these types of these types of things on like, you know, to get like continue to have yeah. your name out there and, and act as if you're. Yeah. You if know, you want to do good work, there's nothing stopping you from doing stopping good work. you from doing that. Mm-hmm. And the biggest issues in our democracy is not that we've not elected a woman is that people can't fucking vote. It's because like people who do vote get Where no the say. Fuck was Hillary Clinton on voting on, on voting restrictions? It's that there aren't women running on so many like levels and they can't run and prevented from running and that there are structural barriers. Like you know that's the conversation. Like it's not about you. And it, when she makes it about herself and not have and her being the first woman president, you know, it takes it takes so much away from everything that every woman's rights activist in like the world is doing. I will say, good for her for having the audacity to think that it should be her. To continue uh, thinking that it should be her, uh, like that takes a level of narcissism that yeah. I can't even fathom. Well, so let's good not, for her. Let's not use the word <laughs> audacity. I mean, you think about like. I mean, like whatever the Barack Obama presidency was obviously flawed, right? Sure. But like that is someone who liter like who you know when he said like you know in the context of his book and like using the expression of like the audacity of hope and and his run like that is like that is what we mean when we talk about breaking down barriers and yeah. like people who end up in places they shouldn't be and then when someone like with the pedigree of Hillary Clinton is acting like. You know, she is in the same, you know, ilk of, of Barack Obama in terms of having overcome barriers. It's like you just got to fucking fuck laugh. out of here. Gotta fucking laugh like as if like and this is this is the thing. You never know. She triangulates to, so yeah, much that yeah, you never know yeah. which side of anything she's on. She may be for you today. She may be against you tomorrow, depending on which way the wind blows. Yeah. That is Hillary Clinton. And this is not a sexist thing to say. It's something that she's shown 
over and over and over. And that's not to say that people can't change their their minds on an issue because Barack Obama did on gay marriage, but mm-hmm. he was like, I changed my mind because of reasons X, Y, and Z, and then he mm-hmm. maintained that standpoint. Yeah, and he did shit about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. There were like policies that flowed from yeah. that yeah. change of heart. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, uh, so uh, that's my rant. Cool. My rent and receipts this week is I kind of have like two that are kind of related. Pace yourself, woman. <laughs> They're short. They're <laughs> short. Joking. So the first one um, <laughs> is a tweet um, from a woman who works for the Ontario government. And she is criticizing um, a conference being organized by the Institute of Public Administration of Canada. And she's criticizing their leadership conference, which is happening in early 2019 in Toronto, and is basically saying, hey, um, your conference is not diverse. I'd love to see some black, indigenous, and people of color public servants uh, as speakers. Um, do you think you can ha- have this happen in the next couple of weeks? That'd be really awesome to see. So I, I appreciated her calling them out. Uh, and then I looked at their list of speakers and on their website, they've got a few, um, it actually has been updated since I last looked at it. And, uh, it looks like the four headline speakers are all white. And then as we scroll down the page, there are one, two people of color, one man, one woman. And um, that's great. So there's four, eight, 12, 14 speakers in total with two people of color. Um, This is about leadership in public administration and the public sector. Oh my God, it's all white people in this video. Hold on, we're not there yet. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Anyway, um, I'm tired of fucking conferences thinking that the only people who can speak on literally any subject are white people. And then they have this fucking window dressing of one or two people of color on a panel or at an event. It's like, oh, look, well, we are diverse. We have, uh, look at all the women. Look at all the women we have. Oh, but we do have like a brown person. Oh, we do have a black person. Um, cool. You've got two light-skinned people of color mm-hmm. as speakers at this conference. Um, last I checked, Toronto was very diverse. Mm-hmm. And uh, last I checked, this organization um, was a national organization. Mm-hmm. So um, Canada, pretty pretty diverse. Pretty diverse. Also, like, what irks me, just to add this real quick, mm-hmm racialized people persons with disabilities you know women immigrant women whatever don't have to just be on panels about diversity yep exactly in fact actually if you could just stop inviting us to just panels on diversity that'd be great yeah and then i saw uh, (laughs) another like a tweet that was related um this woman also from the ontario government um so ontario government real cool um, and she said, you know, if I was going to be on a at speaking in an event, my speaking writer, so basically her contract, um, would have the following um, clauses in it. One, I won't speak if it's an all-white panel or event. Two, I won't be the female moderator on an all-male panel. <laughs> uh, three, I won't speak without a code of conduct. 
And four, I won't speak until land acknowledgement has been done. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Email that to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, we talked about Ellen Pompeo and being an ally and like as a white, and this, it looks like given that this woman's um, avatar, she has like a, a cartoon avatar. So it looks like she could be white, um, but it's unclear. Uh, her last name's Merkley, so maybe it seems pretty white. Hey, you never I don't know. Um, anyway, so as a, if you want to be an ally at an event, as mm. a, a speaker, say, hey, um, I'd like some people of color. Uh, who else do you have speaking at this event? Mm-hmm. You can ask. You can make sure that there are people of color or of other genders on your panel. You don't have to just blindly say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I want to bring up was this video that Ottawa Tourism put out recently, this week, on, uh, I want to say, Tuesday. And uh, it's promoting Ottawa. And it's gotten over 5,000 views, which, for Ottawa Tourism, I think mm-hmm. is very good. Yeah. But I think it's gotten those views for the wrong, the wrong reasons. Um, so the tweet that Ottawa Tourism put out says, From inventive locally sourced cuisine to creative cocktails and decadent donuts, take a quick peek at some of Ottawa's tasty culinary hotspots. And then all of the people in the video are white. And they're all, you know, roughly uh, late 20s to late 30s. Um, and uh, they frequent, they go to a restaurant where um, one of the owners was a sexual harasser. Mm. Um, so that's cool. And then uses the hashtag my Ottawa. Um, mm. Last I checked, my Ottawa wasn't just white. I mean, given present company, I think <laughs> that there aren't just white people in Ottawa. <laughs> first of all, first yeah. of all, can't talk about Ottawa. Like, just even if you're like, the like pockets of communities in Ottawa in, food, in the, terms of food listen, and they, culture. In you this can't video, acknowledge Vietnamese people and Lebanese people. In get the this fuck video, out of here. they go to a Chinese restaurant and there are no Not, Asian people to wild. be seen. You have walked down Somerset. We all have. Yeah. We know what Somerset looks like. I This restaurant is on Somerset. Give me the fuck, the fucking break. Also, how did they say They also that? ordered... <laughs> I know they also <laughs> ordered like drinks at this Chinese restaurant, which like any no Chinese people buys alcohol at a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> like I don't find that uh, don't just, buy alcohol at a Chinese which restaurant. Which restaurant is it? Shanghai. Uh, sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. Not Yangtze. 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 I, okay. That makes perfect sense. Yangtze is totally the place white people would go. Yeah. It's the only one. It's It's big and it's been there forever. But like. It's a fine place, <laughs> but I don't know how they stage it that there are no non-white people in that shot because that's oh, yeah. shocking. That's deliberate. <laughs> like, like you have to try you would really to do have that to go shit. out of your way. You're like, yeah. oh, can you please get the riffraff out of here? We've got a photo shoot to do. Basically, like that's what that happened. Like how that happened. That's wild. Like literally, the like the food scene in Ottawa is like built by racialized people. Get the fuck out of here with this shit. And and then you, what? I'm supposed to go to Datsun to like eat the appropriated versions of the things that you won't even acknowledge like get out of here yeah the whole the whole situation is just like why are all these white people just getting highlighted and pretending that there are no people of color exist there are none in that video i find it really outraged like what uh, anyway it's it's really frustrating because the food scene in ottawa is 
pretty amazing. Some of it is these high-end white whatever restaurants downtown but a lot but and some of the restaurants downtown are not owned by white people and mm-hmm. that's really cool and we should definitely acknowledge that but then there's like a huge other food community that's like outside of the core yeah we're like there is Van like Yay. amazing food Van like Yay really good the east end are yeah. killing it but it's the segregation of food as like the the Absolutely. food that the food that you highlight to promote tourism and then the food that is ethnic food which is like a barely like a yeah, I, food. that like this whole like you know lumping of like every f- like the food that you know what it, what would it be like seven point five billion people eat, mm. but like suddenly is like getting wise as ethnic food. Get out of here with this shit. Every every spice you have, you have because of us. <laughs> like you will see no. <laughs> no argument here like the reason you even have a palate <laughs> is because of us mm. so the reason you landed here is because you're too dumb to know where to go so that you because first you want to <laughs> yeah. steal spices <laughs> that is so true and like the irony is that now we can apply the term columbusing to the appropriation of food yeah which you know full circle here the fuck we are you know I will never forget that six dollar patty. I will with jalapenos. Are you fucking mad? Like, are you this? crazy? At uh, Ministry of Coffee on on Wellington. So in, oh, yeah. like right, yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And they had they wanted to sell a Jamaican patty for six dollars first of all, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And then they wanted to put jalapenos in a Jamaican patty. Which part of Jamaica uses jalapenos? <laughs> None. It's Scotch bonnet, motherfuckers. Okay. <laughs> on top of that, and they want, and it was mostly cumin, which I'm like, that's not how it tastes. And so I mean, like it is. They devalue the food in the first mm-hmm. place by ghettoizing mm-hmm. it and then pick the parts that they yeah. like and yeah. then call, want to call it fusion yeah. in order to get rid yeah. of the whole in like the totally. whole origin of yeah. the fucking food. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I can't even tell you how much this like this just fucking irritates me. And that's what cultural appropriation is. Mm-hmm. It is the power. It is the power to take other from other people and use what they have to disempower them i.e sending black women home because of the hair that grows out of their head Mm -hmm. but you get to make money off of it Mm -hmm. fuck you Mm -hmm. sorry i just no absolutely um we've talked about it before but if you haven't seen the netflix special or documentary ugly delicious that is like well now i've gotten civilized (laughs) and gotten netflix (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a it's a must watch because it deals with this question and like you know it also it it looks it looks at this issue not from a white gaze perspective to to bring it back to to that term um because you know yes there's room for invention and innovation in food obviously but it seems that the only people who are allowed to innovate are white people and then everybody else is supposed to make their traditional food in the traditional way uh, for you know bottom level prices and the only people who get to innovate and make money and do you know 
haute cuisine are white folks, yeah. which is fucked up. And then if you do anything different, men. no one wants to try it. Yeah, mostly You know, like too. I want to see the people who go to Datsun go to Roku. You know, like that mm-hmm. would be. Roku is so good. Roku is so good. All right. So uh, I feel like all my uh, ranting receipts are always like I went to a thing and like I'm just going to tell you about it. But this is another like I went to a thing and it was weird. Um, so this week, the status of women, uh, which is now a federal department or in the process of becoming a department uh, through the latest budget, uh, this year's budget. So that's kind of exciting. Uh, there's a lot more money now for organizations. Um, I saw that, you know, organizations like leaf now have like five-year program funding for litigation efforts on on uh, gender and and uh, human rights issues which is pretty cool um so part of the mandate letter for the minister of status of women included hosting a gender based analysis plus summit bringing together public service mostly but also like community uh, organizations not-for-profits uh some unions and labor organizations advocacy groups uh from different parts of the country so that was held this week over two days um i attended uh one of the days uh i was supposed to attend both days but i didn't stick around uh, <laughs> look so this is gonna go well i had shit to do okay <laughs> I got so halfway this- through and I was like, all right, I got what I needed and I pieced. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, the whole, the event had a number of, of speakers, but mostly uh, panels and, and sort of so-called workshops to talk about things like evidence-based policymaking, um, you know, data, women in the workforce, how to have uh, culturally sensitive decision-making and, and those sorts of topics. Um, I'm not really, I'm still really miffed as to the like purpose and intent of the summit. They started it off by having the head of stats can and someone from finance talking about, uh, data and how important data was and, and getting the facts so we can make the argument and just like really framed it as this like static sort of issue that requires, um, uh, quantitative evidence and it just I f- like really sort of I think uh, framed the question a little bit backwards uh, there was no clear understanding of what GBA plus was how it would be implemented and then uh, or like what it would mean for um, folks already doing this work and I think the whole summit was organized uh, without an appreciation that actually the experts were in the room uh, in attendance and so the, all the panels were just not all the panels some were really uh, exceptional I heard really great things about one of the panels on the second day that uh, friend of the pod Dylan Black was on kind of deconstructing and, and uh, breaking down what the plus aspect of, of gender-based plus was and, and how we do that meaningfully um, but that should have been where they started and set the day because obviously not everyone's on the same page on that but it just felt like intersect the plus aspect was wedged in after the fact was not a lot, and, be, and they kept going back to being oh well we don't have data on LGBTQ plus issues so we start with the stats on women you know and it's just like okay but like you have to compare the other groups to white women like for this to matter like oh well we don't have all the data for that okay but like the experts are in the room we have like qualitative data and it was just like no place for that conversation to happen um, and it felt like it was, was a way for government to to say that they have quote unquote consulted 
consulted with civil society and different actors uh, on this where it was not, it was very far from a consultation. Um, not really sure what the, what the findings are or how this, anything that came from that will be used, but it very much felt like they needed to be seen to be doing something. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, I think gender based analysis is something that they've done, uh, you know, a lot of work talking about, but not a lot of work developing it. And there are, you know, there's a lot of discussion about what the end results of gender based analysis is without even talking about how do we set priorities? How do we even decide what projects are? Um, and, and and the whole thing just really felt like ass backwards, to be honest. That's so like it's disappointing, but also not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because people can only think about what's in front of them. So like anyone who's doing a gender based analysis on a policy can be like, Oh, cool. Like I'm a guy, you're a woman. Okay. And then I'll just ask you like, well, what do you think? Right. But they can't think like people have a very hard time putting themselves in someone else's shoes. Right. And, that is problematic and we like i don't really know aside from like having like well-trained people who conduct gender-based analyses uh which one is time consuming and costly but two like both people are eventually going to move on it's going to be a self-perpetuating cycle of like training and learning and money um i don't know how we do that aside from like creating like personas, which is like a flawed system to make policy in the first place. Right. (sighs) Yeah. There were no real answers for how this would be carried out. I mean, and there's definitely like a boom in this kind of work. So if you're looking for work doing gender based analysis, I feel like the government's probably hiring. Well, like, I don't know what kind of direction you'll get. I don't know how the folks are being trained to actually do this. And if they're relying on statistical data alone, I don't really know how far that'll get you. There seems to be like no place in the conversation for qualitative findings at all or or a discussion around priority setting and and decision making power. And, um, you know, like it's not enough to say like women make X you know, whatever, right? Like from a pay equity standpoint without figuring out the why. And, you know, apparently, you know, apparently even one of the, uh, the speakers had been told not who was a fantastic prof from uh, the Rotman school of business who has taught, had, actually some very interesting data and findings to share and i guess the organizers told her she should say she used the language of accessible child care and she was like no uh i'm gonna say universal child care like we need universal uh, child care uh, but it's like you know if you're it, those are questions of priority setting and 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 solutions and we can you know, wait till the data comes in to show that of all the solutions, you know, childcare is the one we should start with or something else. Like we'll be waiting forever. Like we know mm. to some degree what the options are. They require a political will um, and we need to do that. And, and the whole, you know, budget setting agenda um, seems to not have been done with gender based analysis in mind, but that gender based analysis was wedged in to justify certain things after the fact. I, 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 I feel as though we do this all the time with with issues and it's this we love talking about things and not actually doing anything as as a nation. We love we that love, seems to be a theme today. Yeah, we love mm-hmm. reports and summits and shit. Mm-hmm. And but 
to actually do the hard work. No, we don't want to do that. I mean, some summits will lead to things, you know, I mean, when, you know, women's organizations met in the 80s to push for gender to be included in the charter, you know, like we there there is like a significance for these types of gatherings, but they have to be given purpose. And it just felt like there was no space for for purpose or outcome there it was we are there to perform the service of appearing to consult with the government so the government could appear to be doing something on gender-based analysis in a in a way that reached beyond just internal government and you i actually think it was insulting for a lot of the organizations who were there who've been waiting for announcements who have been waiting for actual um you know space into the discussion um, you know, you won't get gender-based analysis. Just give more money to organizations doing this work and status of women. Get it up and going. Let them figure their shit out. They threw this together last minute. They should have waited until the department was at least like developed and like did this properly and actually brought people in because I, I don't, this is going to be a talking point. They're going to say that we consulted with women for like on this went and develop legislation that is about us also, and in our name, then pretending like we were part of it when we weren't. But it's also the timing, right? Mm-hmm. Is that so the timing is such that this happened in November and in around later this month, you're starting you're starting to going you're starting to get to the consultation period around budget mm-hmm. so there this is just timed exactly mm-hmm. to feed into that last mm-hmm. electoral budget oh def- definitely and so like whether or not the that was the purpose i feel i think so, it's the purpose is that it appears to be part of that process yeah, but absolutely. i don't think that they fed anything useful was fed into the budget process but the budget is not the budget is a political document oh sure it's not yeah. what i'm saying is that is that it's it's setting a priority and it's 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 part of the whole PR package right. of the re-election. And yeah. so um, I don't think it was anything to to be anything but. Is yeah, my, yeah. I, like, I think it fulfilled it just feels its horrible purpose. to be used sure. in that way. Yeah, but that's what that's what they yeah. do is oh, that absolutely. they use all of us to, to drive their messaging and end up doing nothing to yeah. back it up with anything. Well, it's just pure window dressing with this government. What's frustrating is it was also gender-based and gender awareness week in yeah. the public service. And I'm on Twitter seeing, you know, the heads of labor relations departments tweeting to their very, you know, insignificant number of followers because who knows who these people are, uh, except for me who has to sit across the table from them sometimes talking about how great it is. We have gender based analysis. We are gender analysis awareness week. When meanwhile, I know for a fact that these department heads are doing literally not literally everything in their power, but aren't cannot have a, de- a conversation on these issues, have no real understanding of, of, uh, you know, their, their own human rights obligations, let alone gender analysis. I would like to know where, where the, tough questioning is of this government and of their policies from the media mm-hmm. i haven't really mm-hmm. seen any like i haven't really seen anybody really take them to task on these things mm-hmm. like it's 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 like they're silent and if you tell me yeah and there was no coverage of this event ex- 
there you go. And if you tell me, oh, it's because they don't have money, when they had money, they weren't doing it. So I don't think that that's the reason that they're not doing it. They're obviously setting priorities, too, mm-hmm. and this isn't a priority for them. Well, on that note. And also get social with us on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram, Bad and Bitchy Pod, Facebook slash Bad and B Podcast, and email us Bad and B Pod at gmail.com. Bye. 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 Bye.